welcome. So come out and join us right after service. All right. So, hey, we are in part two of my big fat mouth. Last week we talked about what? Complaining. Somebody listened. Awesome. Complaining. How did you guys do with that? Okay, great. Awesome. I could tell it was, in, tell it was an impactful sermon. Uh, you, know, you know, complaining, um, we, we basically said this. We typically complain because if we can change something, we need to change it, right? But if we can't change it, what needs to change? Our perspective. Maybe there, there is something that you have no power to change. So maybe what needs to change isn't your circumstance, but what needs to change is your perspective on your circumstance. Secondly, we said this, complaining happens because typically we're at the center of our story. But whenever we actually see Jesus is the center, things change. Because do you know what? God is not just, just interested in making us happy, God wants to make us what? Holy, like him. So God will use whatever circumstance that, that you are going through to make you ultimately like him, which is the ultimate goal of following Jesus, is it to have a better life, it's to have a Christ-like life. Okay, so you know what? Complaining week one this week is criticism. 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 Anyone ever been criticized? Been, have been talked about? Mm maligned, spoken falsely against. You know, typically whenever I start off sermons, I try to give some funny stories, some deep, compelling introduction, right? Just to get you in, because I don't know where you're at. You could walk in here and you're, you're just thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. You could be thinking about, man, the daggone Ravens are going to lose again. You know, it's like you, you, you never know what you're thinking about whenever you're in there. So I try hard to be like, all right, I need a compelling introduction. I need to try to get them on board with me. So they'll take, you know, you know and it's just so, you know, I try to think, I try to be funny and, and try to do all this stuff. But I, I'm going to ask, I'm just going to dive right in. Can I, can I do that? Will, will, will you guys jump on board with me? And let's just go and just dive right in and talk about criticism. Can y'all do that? All right, criticism defined is this. The expression, typically words, of, dis, of disapproval of somebody or something based on perceived faults or mistakes. So that, dictionary-wise, is what criticism is. Now, Shockingly, if, if, if you actually look up Facebook and criticism in the dictionary, they actually mean the same thing. <laughs> like they actually have the same definite, I'm just kidding. But, and I mean, but, but doesn't it just seem like wherever we're at, news, Facebook, at your job, in your home, it's like there's this constant just, just like, junk show of going around of just people criticizing each other and it just it it just it's it's really almost like you go into a stinky nasty atmosphere have you ever been in a smelly environment where where you just walk in and it just stinks and you're like okay is that a person is that an animal like what in the world is going on does someone need deodorant do we need lysol like, it just smells really, really bad. That is essentially what criticism does, is it takes the atmosphere that you're in 
and stinks it up. Shockingly, Ephesians 4, in, in, in Ephesians 4.29, Paul was writing to this church of brand new Christians, and this church seemed to have a problem with what came out of their mouth. Um, they were kind of full of obscenity, coarse joking. Um, it, it seemed like what they would say was full of death and not life. And so Paul actually takes part of this, uh, of this letter that, that he wrote to this church. And he takes a portion of it and he basically says, hey, let me tell you what your speech should be like. Let me tell you how you should and what he says is it in Ephesians 4.29. It says, do not let any unwholesome, everyone say unwholesome, unwholesome. talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, everyone say helpful. helpful, for building others up according to their needs, everyone say their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Some key words in there. Um. One, though, particularly, is that word unwholesome. If you actually check out the Greek word there, it is the word sapros. Everyone say sapros. S-A-P-R-O-S. And what that word actually translates to is the, is the word rotten or putrid. Essentially meaning stanky. Essentially meaning ugh. Right, so my family and I, Kristen and I, we actually adopted a cat. Actually, we're doing foster care for a cat. Um, my, my sister, um, she came home from Austin, Texas back in May, and she brought a cat with her, and this cat is, is, is deaf. I'm not even kidding. Like, the cat is deaf. Like, deaf as all get. Like, it can't hear anything. Lacey brought this, this you know, moved to my, my dad's house. Well, well, dad, he's got a really forceful, strong cat. Those two cats, they started fighting. Dad was like, get that cat out of, out of here before I kill him. So Lacey was like, hey, I need you to take this cat into your house. My wife is, first off, allergic to cats. Um, but we're nice people, and we don't want to, you know, you know, we don't want to get PETA, or we don't want to get the SBCA out, out on us. So we were like, hey, you know what, we're going to take this cat on, we're going to take this cat in, and we're going to take care of it. And she was like, look, I'll buy the food, I'll do all of this stuff, just, just, it just needs a home. So I'm like, okay, cool, we got it. Anyway, um, last week we smelled something in our daggone laundry room that we could not pinpoint. Like, it was just stinky, nasty, nasty. We weren't sure what in the world was going on. Um, and, and so, we, you, know, you know, we were in there cleaning stuff. Actually, Kristen was. Uh, she was in there cleaning stuff. <laughs> she was in there trying to find what in the world was going on and all that. And, and then finally, eventually, she found what the problem was. It was in a can of cat food that was open. That I think had been there for a little while. And this joint, like, we know... You know, we've got a small, like, probably about a thousand square foot house, so it's like super, super small. But this smell was just like permeating like the whole house. We're trying to find it, and we're trying to spray stuff. Like, it was just nasty. But I, I tell you what, it was so disgusting that, that it was putrid and rotten. And whenever I saw what this word meant, intrinsically I was like, that's what criticism is. It is that stuff that fills the environment, it fills the atmosphere of wherever you are, in your house, in 
in your home, in your marriage, in your relationships. But it's just like it fills the atmosphere with just rottenness and what is putrid. And that's what this word means. It's like criticism, putting people down. What it actually does is it stinks up the atmosphere. You know, criticism is really interesting because criticism ultimately shows what's in your heart. Criticism at its core, Jesus said that what comes out of your mouth is a direct reflection of what is in your heart. So think about what comes out of your heart whenever you criticize somebody. Anger, jealousy, bitterness, selfishness. Whenever you criticize, essentially what you're saying is, is I'm better than you, I know better than you. I know more than you. And, and plus two, don't we typically criticize what we don't understand? We typically criticize what we don't understand. I tell you what, I criticize parents less now that I have kids. I thought I knew how to parent. Actually, I didn't even like kids until I had them. Now I love kids. But it's like parenting is so much different now when you actually, now that, okay, so I kind of had this concept of parenting. When I get kids, when I do this, when I did that, now I'm going to do this, this, this. I had this concept of something, but what I didn't have was context. A lot of people have concepts about certain things, but don't have any context to go along with that concept. Parenting, marriage, pastoring. Like, I see things a lot different now that I am the lead pastor. I would be a so much better employee the past 10 years of being in, in youth ministry, if I know, if I knew then what I know now. I had a concept of what it was like to be in charge, but now I've got context. I know what it's like. And every time I would say my pastor doesn't know what he's doing, why is he spending money on that? Why is he preaching about this? Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? I just question him. And then every time behind his back, I, I would say stuff and it was wrong. And but. But I, you know what? How do I have any authority to talk about anything that that man does? Because I only have a concept, but no context. But think about how many times we criticize situations and people that we have no context about. We only have a concept. Only have a concept. So do you criticize because... You only have a concept, but no context. You know, um, I also see, too, that we typically criticize people that we don't agree with. And it seems like in, in our culture, we've gone so far from having conversations to just immediately attacking and just criticizing. Like things that, you know... Know what it is, but it's like if somebody views something differently than us, we just immediately, intrinsically think that it's a personal shot, and we just like throw up the fist. Maybe not physically, but verbally. Like we're ready to go, we're ready to spar, we're ready to take down, we are ready to take out. But I want to share with you a like something that's actually possible. That this world might not tell you is actually possible, and I want to let you know it is. Like, you can disagree with somebody and still not criticize them. Right. Wow. Okay. It's for real. You can do that. <laughs> like,
you don't have to criticize somebody, but you can still disagree with them. Like, I know that's a shocking concept. Like, put that on Facebook. Tweet that. Facebook. Post that. But it's like, look, like, I want to let you know, at this church, there's going to be things that you and I disagree on. Whether it's something in the Bible, whether it's something in, I mean, so many different ways. I mean, we're gonna, we're people, man. We got different thoughts, backgrounds, all this stuff growing up. There's gonna be things that we are not gonna agree with. But do you know what? That doesn't change the fact that do you know what? I'm gonna love you. I'm not I might not agree with you about everything, but I'm telling you, that does not change who our first kind of like our, you know, our first responsibility is to isn't to be right. Our first responsibility is to Jesus. As Christ followers, he, he values love so much more than you being right. But some of us get so focused on being right that we miss the fact of where we have left love. Paul, Paul said this, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You can be as smart as the day is long. And you can say, I'm just telling people the truth. I'm not criticizing. I'm just telling them what, what the truth is. I'm giving them truth. Just giving them, like, constructive criticism. That's what this is. Just tell them the truth. I'm telling them how they're wrong, they're stupid, they're dumb, they don't get it. Jesus loves you. You know, it's like, it's like you can be right as the day is long, but if you are not filled with love, people don't know how much, people don't care how much you want. No, until they know how much you care. You can be spitting off truth the whole day, but if it's filled with hate, no one cares. That's why the church is losing people. Hey, I'll be straight. We got the truth. But I, I would die for this truth. We got the truth. But what we have is we have a bunch of Christians who are so intent on telling people the truth that they don't fill it with with what love and people don't care what you say because they want to know if you love them first. We only see typically what people are doing rather than who people are. Like we're dealing with human beings who, who just like we went earlier, are made in God's image. Like everybody, black, white, Asian, old, young, rich, poor, whatever, everyone is stamped with the image of God on them. Like... Every human being is stamped with, with God, made in the image of God on them. And so what that does, it should make us be like, our first instinct needs to be to love. And then, okay, you know what, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's, let's talk about the things that we disagree about. But even if we disagree, do you know what we can still do? still love each other. We can still go get a cup of coffee. We can still go hang out. We can still be cool with each other. You can do like Jesus when he was on the cross being crucified by people that he created. You know what Jesus said? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Even when he's being crucified by people he created, he said, God, forgive them. I'm telling you, what if the church stopped pointing fingers and started having conversations? What would change? How would people see the church differently? How would people see Christians differently? How would people see you differently? You know what? And I mean, really, honestly, I see...
Well, good job, Lacey. Did you pick the wrong chair? Okay. Uh, theater, we need some new chairs. Theater, uh, these chairs need Jesus. These chairs need, need to get saved. These chairs need to come. These chairs need to come to the altar. Get saved. Honestly, like what? Honestly, like what? Thank, thank you, Paul. You're you're a, you're a stud, man. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm really scared to stand on this stuff. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Get your cameras out. This this could be YouTube stuff. Uh, but the way I see criticism, kind of a critical spirit, critical heart. You're the one that always sees what's wrong. You're the one that 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 is the source and guide of all truth. You're the one you just you just like to go into an environment and just yeah, look at that guy. Mm, you see him? So he's not a Christian. You just got that critical spirit, that spirit of criticism, right? What what essentially that is is it's doing this. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I know more. I I got all the answers. And basically what you're doing is you're, is you're saying, I'm above you. There's a crazy story in John chapter 8 where Jesus, who was God in the form of a human being, he wasn't just a good teacher, he wasn't just a good guy, he wasn't just some zen-like figure that just, kind of, that just kind of said cool, pithy statements. He was God in the form of a human being, is in the temple teaching. And there is a group of people there listening to him teach. And so we're going to actually read in John chapter 8, where Jesus encounters a few different types of people. We're going to start reading in John chapter 8, verse number 2. It says, At dawn he, and, and, and he is Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all of the people gathered around him. So kind of think of kind of sort of like church. So, hey, you know, just imagine that I'm Jesus, right? We're all just kind of hanging out, having a good time. I'm, you know, Jesus is teaching. He's God in the form of a human being. Probably a lot better teaching than I ever will do. That, that's for sure. All right, but it's kind of in church hanging out. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so these guys, oh, these guys, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these were the guys, they, they lived their life up here. They could say, and this is why Jesus and these guys got in so many arguments. This is why Jesus, like if Jesus only criticized one group in the whole Bible, it was the Pharisees. Like he said things like, you convert somebody to, to your sect. And what you do, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. Yo, Jesus coming hard. Like Jesus. Like I, I love that one. I'm not going to lie. I just picked up twice the son of hell to tell. Like, what, what was Jesus' tone? What, what was, was he pointing? Did he have a mic and drop it after that? Like, what, like, what did Jesus do with that? Twice the son of hell. That you are. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you're so pretty. But on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. You're dead on the inside. And Jesus would, like, insult these guys. But, you know, Jesus only... Jesus only insulted people that were on this chair. Because they were trying to put themselves in the place of God. 
they were trying to basically prop themselves up so other people wouldn't be seen as good or as great as they are. So Jesus is sitting there in this little thing, teaching, and the Pharisees, these guys that are on the chair, they come in and they bring a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, mind you, if she was caught in the act, only God knows what she had on. Okay? They bring her in, and they throw her before Jesus and before all of these people. And essentially what they do, they shame her. They throw her before them. And they get on, and, and, and do, they get on their chair. And they say, hey, Jesus, this law that you teach, this law that you're going around teaching people, it says that we should stone her. Hey, Jesus, what do you say? Now, of course, their heart was to trap Jesus, because Jesus saw who they really were. And Jesus was like, <laughs> these guys. I can just see in his heart, these fellas. Oh, I'm going to make them pay. Jesus. Oh, I don't know where we were at. I think I messed up. Go back. Yeah, so what do you say? They were using this as a place. Okay, so basically I kind of interpreted that whole part for you. So, that, so there you go. That was the John Ware International Living Version or whatever it's called. Yeah. So, okay, go to the next one. All right, here we go. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, but any of you, was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, there's a couple different theories on what Jesus was actually writing. So there's one deeply, deeply, deeply spiritual one that, that you should probably know. One, one, one group of people says that he was doodling. So he's like writing comic books, or I don't know what he's what he's, what he's doing, right? But actually, one group says what they think Jesus was actually doing, and that I kind of agree with here, is that Jesus started writing the sins of the people accusing her. So Jesus kind of, you know, boom, 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 boom. Because then, look, look. Look what starts happening. At this, those who heard <laughs> begin to go away. <laughs> One at a time. The order of ones first. <laughs> until only was Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So can you see Jesus being like, yep, 1034. Yesterday. <laughs> you did this. Right? But what I love here is that Jesus is left alone with this woman. All these other people accusing her, all, all of these other voices accusing her, they leave whenever Jesus speaks. That should tell you this. The only thing that, the only voice that matters in your life is what Jesus says about you. It's not what other people accuse you of, say. What matters is the most powerful voice in the whole universe, and that is what Jesus says. Do you believe what Jesus says about you? Because that's the only voice that ultimately matters. Check it out, though. He says, woman, where 
are they? Has no one condemned you? Move on. It says, no one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. What I love is, is in this story, if anybody on this planet, in this, on this earth, in this story had the right and the authority to get up and accuse and tell this woman and criticize her and tell her who she really was and what she had done, it was Jesus. But instead of Jesus getting up on the chair and looking down on her and just accusing her and telling her, you're a slut can't believe that you'd break this law that you were taught when you from when you were a little kid. Do you know what you were doing whenever you did that? You ruined this guy's life. Jesus wasn't criticizing her. He didn't get up on the chair. Do you know what Jesus did? He stooped down. Got to where she was. He didn't just have a concept. He entered into her context. And he said, where are they? No one condemns you, so therefore, do you know what? I don't condemn you either. Go and leave your life of sin. Y'all, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus left his context. Heaven. No sin, nothing wrong there. He left his context to get down into our context so, so Jesus could feel what we feel and know what it was like to be in this body. Hebrews says it, says it well. The... the the, we now have a, a, a high priest who can sympathize with us because he has felt what we have felt and he knows what it's like to be 100% a human being. Jesus didn't just have a concept of what it was like to be you. He entered into your context. He entered into where you were and felt weak and felt temptation and felt what it, and felt what it was like to be hungry felt felt what it was like to be rejected felt what it was like to to feel death and why did he do that for you because he wasn't gonna he knew that he would not win you by being on this chair he knew that ultimately if he was going to save you he was going to have to get into your context Philippians chapter 2 says it so well. Mike, you can go ahead and come on up, brother. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8 talks about, talks about what Jesus did. It says this. It says, in your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as that Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, him being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a person, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus, for a few months, laid aside his divinity to get down into our humanity so he could be like us and know what it's like to be you know what it's like to feel weak and pain and rejection do you know what i love in this story also is jesus did not 
be, Jesus was not a fault finder. He was a hope giver. Jesus was, did not come into this story saying, find what is wrong with this woman. He said, I'm going to look beyond who this girl is into who she can be, and I'm going to speak to that, and I'm going to give her hope. Let's just be honest, man. We are full of a city of fault finders. And unfortunately, the biggest fault, fault finders are us. We criticize people. We, we put people down that aren't like us that we think should just get over it, that we think, why, why are they complaining? Why are they acting like, like, like this? And we can throw stones. We, we can be just like these daggone Pharisees, can't, can't, can't we? We can try to shake people and guilt people and, and try to just get people to see our point. But what I love is that Jesus was not content with just saying, I'm going to find what's wrong with this woman. She said this, I'm going to give her hope. What would change if we all went from being fault finders to being hope givers? In whatever context you find yourself in, in your family, I know you've got a crazy husband that you want to consistently put down for how he acts and what he does. And you keep on nagging him and keep on telling him he's a bad person and keep on telling him if he doesn't change, you're going to go. Let me tell you what that is actually doing. You are actually putting a bigger wedge between y'all. Because you're fault finding, you're not hope giving. I know you want to tell the truth, and and hey, I and hey, I totally get it. But at the same time, with that truth, make sure your heart first and foremost is love. You know what, too? Criticism can't just be can 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 go further than just people to people, but it can go from people to to a city. And I'll be honest, man, Newport News gets criticized a lot. Let's just be honest. Like, Newport News gets criticized on the morning news, afternoon news on Facebook. And here's the deal, guys. We can be, we can join in this with that chorus of people putting Newport News down and telling how bad of a city is. You did see someone got shot, wah, wah, this gang act. 15-year-old boy, he got taken, you know, you know, put in jail, charged with gun possession, you know, people getting getting robbed. I'm getting away from this. I'm moving to Gloucester. You know, I'm, I'm going to get into a safer place. You know, just, just, just speaking death over this city. We can speak death over the city. My prayer is, you know what? God put us in this city not to just plant a church. God put us in this city to bring change, not to criticize it. God put us right here in the middle of it, not to be a fault finder, but to be a hope giver. My family and I, we did not just come and set up in, in this city just because we felt like planting a church. God put it in our hearts to see a city transformed and to see a city change. I know we can't do everything. We can't just by our own work and just by the people that God sends us just bring change in this city. But do you know what we can do? We can do something. That's why we're at Denby High School. All those kids don't have fathers. What's up, y'all? We're going we're your daddy. You need someone to talk to? We got your back. You are gonna be awesome, brother. 
We're going to speak life into you. We're going to speak hope into you. We're going to speak truth, truth in you. We're not going to find the fault in you. We're going to be a hope giver for you. That's why we serve downtown. We know we can't change everything, but that doesn't change the fact of what we can do, and we can find what God is doing in this city and speak hope over it and speak hope to it, but, but not just speak it, then we can act on what we say. We are not going to be fault finders, Lifehouse. I refuse. And I love you. But if you're speaking death over this city, I'm going to call you out with the love of Christ. Because this city is my city. This city is going to be God's city. I don't know how, when, or what that's going to look like. But this is where God has placed us for a divine purpose, for a divine time, and such a time as this, to see lives and to see people changed. And that's why we do what we do. We're not going to criticize. We're, we're going to speak truth. But when it is spoken, it's going to be done with the biggest amount of love. It's going to be done saying, look, we love you beyond this. Even if we disagree, hey, we can still love each other. Lifehouse, will you be a people, not just personally, but corporately as a church that says, we're going to be hope givers. We're not going to stand on the chair, say how bad people are, tell them where they're going. They're, they're going to hell. Guys, let's get off of our concept, off of our high horse. Let's get down into people's contexts and start having some conversations and start being hope givers because I'm telling y'all what is going to change this world is not criticism and condemn and and condemn and and condemnation it's going to be when the people of God get up and say we're going to find the hope in this city and we're going to do whatever we got to do to see that grow amen stand up my house